Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Excited to be here with you this morning as we uh, man, begin our new series. I left last week just so excited about what God did that Sunday with our guest speaker, Crystal. I just encourage if you've not checked it out, please go listen. Uh, and then, like Chandler said, this week has been incredible just seeing God move. I got to go to Love the Block this week, and, and it was just it's just incredible to see what God has done. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited for the future, and I'm very excited to begin this series. It's going to take us actually all the way to Easter. And uh, it's called Meals with Jesus. You're probably wondering why there's a stool here. Because in the great irony of life, or what I like to call Satan's a loser, uh, <laughs> I was awoken this morning early with what the doctors call food poisoning. Uh, so people are like, how do you know you don't have a stomach bug? Like, trust me, it's food poisoning. <laughs> you know the difference when you've had it a few times. Um, so I, I'm blessed to have food poisoning and to begin a series that talks all about food. Uh, but you know what? The devil hasn't figured a way to kill me yet, so here we are, and we're still going. Uh, and I just believe in what God wants to do. But, you know, I might, I might sit <laughs> occasionally, you know, just depending on how the spirit moves. Uh, <laughs> this morning. Uh, but I'm excited to share with you. I believe uh, God is really preparing the heart of his church for something incredible. I've noticed coming out of the fast just um, a hunger spiritually, uh, not so much physically today, but spiritually a hunger for God to move. Uh, you know, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I love cooking food. I love eating with others. Is anybody here, and again, you, you'll need to help me today because I'm not as dynamic, a little more reserved. And so since you guys are amazing and a passionate church alive with the Holy Spirit, I just need you to help keep me on the right path. And how we do that is uh, responding or then ignoring. If you're ignoring them, well, I'll move on. Um, but if you're responding, I'm like, all right, right where we need to be. Uh, <laughs> no, I joke, but how many of you guys honestly, you say, like, I, I love to cook, or I'm just like, I'm a big anywhere food's happening, I'm there person. Yes. Yes. Yeah, see, look at that. Second service. See, you guys, you took that extra hour of sleep, and you just came spiritually prepared. That's what it is. That's what it is. They said you didn't want to get up early with your kids. The Lord was like, I'm just preparing away. No, I'm just saying. Uh, but uh, I, I love to cook. The hardest part of the fast has been for me that uh, historically we come out of Christmas where everyone's so busy and everyone comes back in January and they're like, oh, Pastor, I'm so excited to hang out. And I'm like, great, I'll see you in a month, right? Because uh, I don't know if you, I, I mean, the food I was eating on the fast, I didn't want to share. And not because it was so precious, I didn't want to lose any of it. I would have gladly gotten rid of all of it. Uh, but it's just like, it's not as fun. In my personal opinion, it wasn't as fun. Some people can do it. Uh, I've had to work very hard at it. This fast, actually, we were very intentional on cooking meals that we can invite people over with and like play games and hang out. Uh, but, it, but it is a lot different, but it does require being incredibly intentional. But as somebody who likes eating and food in that time, I, I got to say some of the the best testimonies, some of the best friends, some of the best memories and stories of my life have happened gathered around a table. I got to say, cool things happen when you share a meal with people. And even beyond that, as we begin to look at the book of Luke, I want to say life-changing things happen when we share a meal with Jesus. 
life-changing things happen. In this series, we're going to talk about Meals with Jesus, and I was trying to figure out how to go through the entire book of Luke in just 10, 11 weeks. And if you've ever tried to break down the book of Luke week by week, that's a two-and-a-half-year two sermon series, which would have been fun. I just don't know if I have the legs for it, to be honest. I was like, wow, that's amazing. People are like, if we were a spiritual church, we would. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I was like, God, how, how can we begin to understand the scope of what you're doing in Luke in 10 weeks, which is still a good amount of time? And I began to look at all the places where Jesus ate with people. And there's some of the most profound moments of Scripture because they're often the time where he goes from teaching in a large scale to conversing in a small scale. And where he's not speaking to the crowds, he's starting to speak to the individuals, and they're asking questions, questions that we ask. And so we're going to spend the next couple weeks going through that, and I want to just jump right in. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 today. So if you brought your Bible, I encourage you to open it up because we're going to look at how God moves at the table. And I believe if we put it to heart, I believe God's going to move at your table and do a work in your life. Before we do that, though, I, I made a note here, and I'm not going to forget, so I'm going to pull it out, because I saw the Reinigals are here just now as I was speaking, and I believe, is Gabriella with you? Gab Gabriella, I'm sorry. Gabriella Louise, would you just can you just hold her up just suddenly? She's sleeping. Oh, you're going all the way Mufasa style. Yes, amazing. Amazing. Just keep growing that nursery. <laughs> Amazing. Incredible. We love you guys. So excited for you. Uh, but let, let's pray together this morning. God, we thank you for your word. In fact, Holy Spirit, I just invite you, as we open the word of God, would you open our hearts in your holy name? Amen. All right, if you brought your Bible, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack open to Luke 5.27, the amazingly adorable baby announcement wasn't the only reason I opened my Bible today, um, but it was one of them. Uh, but if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Words will be on the screen. I want to read it here uh, with you today. It says this, after this, after what? After Jesus began calling his disciples and doing his ministry and healing and cleansing a leper and a paralytic, it says, after this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. It says, and Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others, someone say others, reclining at a table with them. Let's pause right there. There's kind of two sections here. Now, your Bible might have these little headers before the section, and sometimes it can be helpful, and sometimes it can leave stuff out. My header says, Jesus calls Levi. Some of yours might say, Jesus calls Levi and eats with sinners. I think that's a more apt description because he's doing a couple things here. It's kind of like two parts, but they both work together. We have the invitation, and then through Jesus Christ and his example, we have the method and the mission. And so it begins with this moment of invitation. How many of you have ever sent out wedding invitations before? Okay. As a young man growing up, I'd only been in a few weddings before I got married, because I got married at 20, 
too. And so I had not been in many weddings, but the ones I had, mostly people just told me, because before I was 22, I was 18, 19, and 20, you don't give a 19-year-old a wedding invitation. You text them and tell them they will be there, right? That's how it goes. Even in your 30s, it's different, right? You get the card. Uh, so I didn't know when I went to uh, make invitations, because you either have to pay somebody, th like a whole mortgage payment, or you have to make them yourself and pay somebody half of your mortgage payment to somehow allow you the permission. It's some kind of feudal system. I don't understand how it works. Um, and so we decided to make ours, and this is when I discovered that the paper they sell for invit invitations is the most expensive paper on earth. There's Egyptian papyrus, like straight from the tombs, and then there's wedding invitation paper. It's like, it's so good you can't write on it. It like lifts its nose at your pen. You can't print on it. You spend like $12,000 of paper just for the printer to say, oh no, you can't print on this. You just have to put it around your home like wallpaper and stare at it whenever your neighbors come over. That is invitation. And so as I got older, I started getting wedding invitations. And now that I know what they cost, I love it. It's a good feeling because honestly, if you send me a wedding invitation, even if I have no plans on going, you're like, we're getting married in Minnesota. I hope you can make it. It's like, you and I both know I won't. Um, even if you send me one, the reality is like, I'm gonna feel honored because I know that thing costs like $25 to make, right? You, you sealed it with wax. Like I know how many arguments you and your fiance had with the wax seal method on your thing. Like you're not pushing it. No, you need to push it. I, I'm pushing it down. No, you need to melt it with the candle and then put, you're not, you're not, oh my gosh, you're not pushing it. I'm getting my sister, right? That's like how many, <laughs> how many of those conversations happened? That's not speaking from real life at all. Um, <laughs> I'm a good wax sealer now. Actually, it's been years. It's been, I mean, how long have we been married now? Almost 13 years. So it's been a while since I've sealed anything with wax. Um, <laughs> my problem is that I don't know what to do with the invitation because I'm an aggressive fridge door closer, so they can't live on the front of the fridge door, right? And then it's like they're too foldy to go on the shelf, and then I don't know what the length of time before you can throw them away is, because I know some of you who have recently got married, and you come to my house, and I see you go into the kitchen, which you never go in, and you go in and look at the fridge, and I can tell what you're looking for. Like, is it on, is it, is it on there? And then I'm worried that it's going to be in the trash, and you're going to see it, and be like, oh my gosh, he doesn't believe this marriage is going to make it. See, I knew, I knew my uncle was right, <laughs> right? But because getting an invitation feels important. I don't know what the length of time is. I feel this like every time you send me a Christmas card. When is the length of time that you have to keep a Christmas card before you can throw it away? Because honestly, biggest fear is like have Gabriel come over, just like the cutest baby that's ever existed, and we're eating some ribs, and he pops open the trash can just to see Judah's face staring up at him from the bottom of my trash can. Like, hey, man, what the heck? Be like, oh, I don't know how the spirit moves. Like, I don't know how... I don't know how that got in there, bro. It's February. Move on. <laughs> but it feels good to get an invitation, right? It feels good. It feels like someone's giving you value, right? It's like, oh, man, they value me. And you know it feels good to get an invitation. You know it gives value because it feels really bad when you don't get invited. Right? Like you see it on Instagram, like, hashtag had the best time, hashtag girl gang. And you're like, <laughs> down a member, right? <laughs> It doesn't feel good. It feels good to be invited because in that moment, someone is saying, I value you, even if it's just with a glossy card. But if they're your friend, you're really getting this experience of like, I care about you and I want you to be a part of something. 
In this moment in verse 27, it says, Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, come and follow me. Now, tax collector, this is not the Bible coming for you if you work for the IRS. Tax collector was a very specific job with very deep cultural implications. Here's what I mean. Judea was an occupied land. They had a foreign army that was occupying them, and part of that foreign army's job was to demand taxes of the people who they were occupying. And so the foreign army doesn't really get into this. They just have the swords. So what they do is they pay people of the land to go around and take taxes of their own people to give to the people who are oppressing them. So like the best example, when you read commentaries, it'll often come up that the best visceral example for us is the idea of Nazi Germany occupying parts of France and then demanding taxes be taken to supplement their war effort, but then having local Parisians say, oh, I'll take that job. Yeah, I'll go around to my own people and get money for the people who are subjugating them, the people who could do things such as make them carry their stuff for a very long ways just because they happen to be near them. Or other famous ones, such as track two, called We'll Beat You for No Reason. And so there was a group of people called tax collectors that would go around to their own people and collect taxes. Um, that just means he sucked and nobody liked him, right? Like, none of us would have been like, that's the guy Jesus is going to call, Right? Why? Because you think, like, there's no way. Nobody liked this guy. They were often crooked. They were always hated. But what I love is how the Word of God really spells this out. Because it says the word saw. And the word saw here in the Greek literally means to look intently and purposely. This is not like, oh, I looked over here and I saw this plant and I saw that plant and I saw that plant. And now I'm realizing there's a lot of plants on the stage. I saw that plant and that guitar, right? I saw ATL wings, uh, which would normally sound good, but, but today just did something internally for me in that brief moment. Uh, <laughs> I saw. But for him, it says he saw intentionally and purposely, intently and purposely, meaning he did not see the outward. He saw the inward the inside. I love to, to, to buy and, and fix up houses. And by love, I mean that's the way I'm able to own a home. And uh, I, I remember uh, when we bought our very first house, it was built in 1926. It, it was in the hood and still is. Shout out to the hood. And uh, when we people would come into our house, they'd say, oh man, I wish I could have a house like this, right? I mean, I did like all the basic white girl stuff. I got your subway tile. I got your butcher block counters, right? I'm talking herringbone. I'm talking patterns, right? I'm just everything, everything. We're talking white trim, white walls, white doors. I know what you like, and I know you're going to make your husband buy it, right? So I did everything. Look, throw a little black accents in there, right? We get wild. Uh, and so they'd come in and say, like, wow, I wish I could have a home like this. That would be amazing. And I'd be like, you can have a home like this, but it's not going to look like this. See, the reason that we had a home like that, we bought it for $160,000, which in case you're young is nothing. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it had moldy carpet. It had asbestos all up in the walls. That's apparently the only thing they built with was pure asbestos. Uh, 
it had uh, like it had a toilet that to say it leaked would be generous to the word would be like kind to the word leaking right and so i tell people listen you can but you got to look past the musty carpet the green walls the stinky toilets and you got to see what's there what's inside you got to see the bones you got to see what could be see when jesus sees levi he sees him Truly, He does not see what the world sees. He does not see a hated figure, a figure that no one would want to be called. He doesn't see a despised person. When Jesus sees you, he doesn't see you as despised. He sees you as a child of God. Jesus sees you as a real person with a real purpose who deserves real love. But he doesn't just see you, he calls you. And he says, follow me. He calls you because the call is not based on your authority. It's not based on your qualifications. It's based on his. The call is not because of what we have done. The call is because of what God will do and has done for us. See, true faith is following God because of who he is, not because of who I am. And he says, follow me. And I love this moment because it says then, and your scripture might say it's similar, a little bit different, but my scripture says that, uh, that he left everything, rose, and follow him. That's an emphatic word. It's haptanta, which means that Levi reoriented his life. He left the whole trade. See, Jesus wants to reorder your whole life, not to strip away the things that make you you, but to strip away the things that are keeping you from truly being who he created you to be. See, the lie of the enemy is that Christ is an addition to your life. Add Christ, and he'll begin to seep in and change everything. No, it's put Christ at the middle in your heart, and he will reorient everything. He will change everything. To follow Christ is not uh, in a, a momentary thing. It's enduring. I've done a lot of weddings, many weddings, and uh, I, I've seen uh, every version of the unity uh, element that you could possibly do. At this point, I feel confident. I've seen the sand oh my gosh, have I seen the sand. The sand where they take the two things and they pour it into one. Takes about four minutes. Nobody really understands why. And then they look at me like, I got to make some analogy. I'm like, oh, the sands are the pieces of your relationship that you can't separate, even though I kind of feel like I could because science, right? Uh, <laughs> I get torn because I'm a little snarky in my spirit, and I want to be like, I think I could separate them. I'm just saying, if we really had time. Some of you have picked at your relationship long enough to know that's true. The <laughs> but my favorite one is the candle. That's my favorite one. That people go to a candle, that's the love of Christ, the flame of Christ, they light their candles off of it, and they try their hardest to get over to a candle in the middle, and they light that candle. And I like that one because though you can multiply fire into other places, you cannot separate it and ever go like, well, this was your fire and this was my fire. It's one fire burning together. You can blow it out or you can multiply it, but that's your option. See, Jesus does that for our life. It's not a addition. It's a total transformation. Jesus loves you too much to leave you in brokenness. He accepts anyone and transforms everyone. And I just want to stop here really briefly. If you are 
Levi in here. If you feel that way, Jesus does not see your pain as a stop sign. He sees it as a welcome sign to come in with his love and mercy and to bring healing today. And it doesn't matter what the world sees your value at. Christ right now is calling to you, come and follow me. Amen? Okay, let's look at the second part. Y'all still with me? Haven't used the stool yet? We're getting close, guys. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. The second part is the method and the mission. Jump with me in in Scripture here to uh, chapter 5, verse 29. It says, And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at a table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's displaying a method here. Now, in this one, he's invited in. He's gonna, you'll see, we're going to see it in lots of different versions. But the method that Jesus is displaying here is hospitality. If you're taking notes, I just want to invite you, write that down, hospitality. We're going to talk about this a ton in this series, but hospitality is big. I don't know if you, you like to travel. I, I like to travel and go different places. I'm not a great tourist, uh, but what I love about traveling different places is when people invite you into their home to eat with them. That's the best experience. It's just something about being in a place and someone inviting you in that just makes it better. I don't care if you're in like downtown Los Angeles or Venice. It makes it better to have someone be like, hey, come in and eat with me. Come in, come in and share a meal with me. And I remember I was in Mexico, and we were ministering to a, a migrant camp in Mexico in uh, these houses that are very, uh, you go around the world and you'll see this is what the place people look like. It's got the kind of quintessential blue tarp uh, covering poorly, but to the best of the ability, over like a couple pallets and stuff. And we went inside, me and a friend of mine went inside, and um, I didn't really speak much Spanish, but I, I always try. I'm that guy. I'm sorry if you're a fluent Spanish speaker. Uh, I, I just always try. I always give it a shot. Figure maybe, you know, God will move in the gift of tongues, and I won't have to. Uh, but <laughs> I always just try. I mean, I, I mean, I try real Spanish. I don't make words up. I'm not that guy. Um, <laughs> Uh, and my friend began to speak, and we had just the most perfect, like, single chicken, one chicken, and it was like the most perfect meal I've ever had in my life, just like laughing and hearing her story and being encouraged. And I, I mean, I was a young person at the time, and I just remember thinking, like, this is the best meal I ever had. And what made it great was not the setting. What made it great was not literally the food we were eating. It was okay. What made it great was the move of God that was happening in that moment of hospitality, the move of God that was happening. Hospitality is one of the greatest tools of the kingdom. Hospitality is evangelism. Hospitality is how we embrace sinful people without participating in their sin. And I love that hospitality works from a variety of angles. You could go into someone's home, right? You could go into their home. And what I like about that is like then the other person, this is very practical, the other person has almost a sense of power and authority because it's their home. And so there's a safety in knowing this is my place, right? I know, I know where the arms are in case something pops off, right? Right? This is my, this is my place. But there's a comfort. You know it. It's familiar. And there's a sense of strength there. 
The other side is when you invite someone into your home. That it's it's the opposite, but it, but it works in a very similar way because you are being vulnerable, right? You're being vulnerable and saying, "This is where I live. This is where I spend my life. Welcome into a part of my life." McDonald's is not the part of your life. Your home is a part of your life. And so there's an intimacy, but beyond that, you get to serve people. Even if you picked up the food on the way home, you get to fork and knife that thing out onto, onto a plate and do an act of service. And that's just called reflecting the heart of Jesus Christ to serve others. And there's a third kind, I guess I was thinking about it, is shared space. I don't think this one is as effective, but given that many people do not have a space or are not accessible to a space, sometimes just going out to eat with another person somewhere neutral provides a great neutral ground and what I would consider a shared experience. So there's lots of different ways that hospitality can work, but my favorite thing about hospitality is that hospitality gives value to others. If you're writing down, right, hospitality gives value value to others. Let me let me just say it one more time one here. Hospitality gives value to others. Growing up in Seattle, I uh, I I had a a band and uh, we were not a big deal at all, but it was really fun to play at different venues. And we played some awesome places. We played some dumb places. One time I played on a yacht that turned out to not really be a performance. And I kid you not, the people were so wealthy that they stopped us in the middle of performing. To, they said, oh, I, I, and they got me, you know, some guy in a sweater got my attention and said, hey, 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 hey. And I was like, yes, yes. And they said, stop. The horse race is on. And I was like, and we all turned and looked at the TV and just waited. A horse race takes like, I don't know, two seconds. We just waited. They went around. A couple people won money. A couple people lost money. And then they said, okay, you can continue. So that gives you a little perspective on <laughs> the level of my band. Um, <laughs> we were interrupted by horses. Um, <laughs> be a great band name. Um, <laughs> but we would go and play these shows, and I had like a list of famous places I wanted to play. They were all places that Nirvana played, and I wanted to play them before I left because I knew I was leaving Seattle. I was like, I gotta play these places. And what was cool is when you go play, they wouldn't pay you anything really. They pay someone. It wasn't me. And uh, then, but they would do something very cool: is they would give you a list, and you could put people's names on the list for when they came to the show. And that meant that they could go past the line. I'm being generous, saying there's a line. They could go past the line and come in for free. And I gotta say, I don't care if you're going to the seediest bar on the face of the planet or like a community center clarinet show. It feels cool if your name is on the list. I'm just saying, and like there's just one bouncer. You might even know him. Doesn't matter. He's there, and you're like, oh, yes, oh, my name's on the list. And he looks and goes, yeah, come on in. And then if there's just one person there, you're like, hey, what's up, man? And then you go in. It feels good. It feels good to be on the list. And I thought about this. If I were God and I was coming down to the earth, who would be on my list? Well, I'm trying to maximize my time. I got three years, and they're going to kill me, so I got to maximize my time to meet with, like, everybody that I think is going to make a difference in the world. So who would I meet with? So I thought about it. I said, okay, I'm going to meet with influencers. I'm going to be like, okay, Peter, who are the most inf Oh, I'm God, so I know. Hey, Peter, here's who the most influential people are. And I'd be like, bah, 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 bah. Who's in power right now, right? I'd be like, Roman emperor. I mean, the dude's out here raising people from the dead. He can get a sit down with the emperor. Just saying, not beyond his ability. The emperor. I'd go powerful people. Like, I'm not talking like the centurion that comes. I'm talking like, like people who do stuff. Like, hey, who built the Colosseum? That guy. 
right? That's who I'm sitting down with. People of power, influence, money. We got to fund this thing, right? Right? Jesus' guest list is the most confusing thing on earth. <laughs> and yet I understand it completely. Jesus' guest list. Tax collectors, others. <laughs> That's my favorite category of people. Look at that again, Luke 5, 29. And Levi made him a grace feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? There's a strong contrast here. The sinners recline inside with Jesus, and the Pharisees sit outside and grumble. Jesus often ate with sinners, people labeled outsiders. Now, when the Pharisees are speaking here about sinners, now this is not necessarily in the Romans context of all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They're trying to make a point about this group of others by giving them this designation. We are all sinners saved by grace. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So they're not saying they have never sinned, nor is Jesus when he makes a distinction saying these people have never sinned, these people are, are sinning or something like that. He's not making a distinction. They're pointing to a practice and an understanding of these two words culturally because the Pharisees saw sinners as people who were living outside of the Torah or the law. The Mishnah, which is uh, one of the, the Jewish uh, texts, describes what sinners are. And I'll give you some descriptions. Gamblers, money lenders, people who raise doves for sport, but, pff, People who trade on the Sabbath here, thieves, the violent, okay, and I want you to hear these last two, shepherds and tax collectors. Yeah, Jesus has been balling since birth. Right at the beginning, he's pulling shepherds in, right? They were unclean. They were outside. They were other. But often, these were not people who were like all criminals, though thieves on the list of criminals. They were not all criminals. Many of them were just too ignorant or too poor to do everything required to live completely under the Torah and all of the rules that they had added up to this moment. So they were seen as on the outside. Church, let me ask a question. Who are the others? They're the people on the outside who either do not know or do not believe in their value in Jesus Christ. What does Jesus do? He puts them on the guest list and he reclines at the table with them. Hear me. Jesus' table is a reflection of his kingdom. In Luke, the theme you're going to see over and over and over again is that Jesus hosts every kind of person. Outcast, sinners, sick, poor, lame, blind, disciples. He even hosts Pharisees. Everybody is at the table of Jesus Christ. But what brings them together? It's not their past. It's not their background. It's the unifying factor of heaven that broken people find their wholeness in Jesus Christ. Hear me. Heaven will be filled with the unexpected and the offensive. Believers, what does your table look like? Is it empty 
Is everybody of the same race, nation, and creed? Is everybody of the same faith? Is everyone of the same opinions? See, what happens is we are so hungry, and I mean, we grew, we've grown up, many of us, in a programmatic church that out of the fear of losing us has created programs to try to keep us. And so we've grown up as demanding programmatic believers who thirst for sameness. If someone isn't in the same season of me, if someone doesn't look like me, if someone doesn't have the same interests as me, or come from the same background of me. We are so concerned with sameness that we have neglected those suffering from otherness. And I think it's important we have to surround ourselves with strong believers. It's crucial to growth. Get in a small group. Get in a small group. Get in a small group. But engaging sinners is crucial to mission. See, when we invite the offensive and unexpected, we reflect the kingdom and we speak value where the world has undercut value. And hospitality is one of my favorite ways to do this because hospitality gives space and grace. Okay, I'm going to make a confession. We're being real here. <laughs> I have always and still to this day want and wanted a lazy boy reclining chair with all of my heart. Now, it has parameters on it, and here's why. One, I don't want, it, it's got to be sturdy, right, and it can't be leather. Here's why. It's 100 degrees, and I'm not going to fall asleep in it and have to peel myself out of it like Jabba the Hutt, right? <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> That's a visual you didn't need today, but welcome to not feeling well with me. <laughs> I've always wanted one. Why? Because I think reclining is the peak of comfort, in my opinion. Like, if, I, if you're in the pool, you got to be, be laid out, got to be reclined, right? You're not on your stomach on the side, right? You're just reclined. You're laid out. There's something about just having your head go back. Maybe, you know, I'm just overstimulated in my life, and when I finally slow down, I go to sleep. But I love it. So I want, like, a sturdy recliner, something like a brown, like a brown corduroy, like a dense fabric. You know, <laughs> that's just good, just dense. Um, and it's because I just want to, like, come home after a long day and then, like, hit that lever. It's got to have a lever. The button's a lie. I don't know who invented that. I Stop. You need the lever. The, le the lever is part of the romantic experience of Lazy Boy Chairs. You've got to pop it back, and you've got to go too far. That's the key. And then you've got to recover and be where you need to be. That's how they should all work. And if, dear la if Lazy Boy, if you're watching right now, make better chairs. I don't know what you're making now. Bring the levers back. I say all this to say that to recline is to be comfortable with, to spend time with, right? It's relaxing. What is Jesus doing around the table? He is reclining. It says that they're there gathered with the others, and Jesus is reclining with them. And now, uh, the way that they would eat is rather than sitting, I know we've, we've all seen the, like the Last Supper picture where they're all in a row. They were more likely in a U shape, and they would all kind of like lean in and recline, laying out together. I think it's a pretty good plan, right? It's a pretty good build. Yeah, I like it. Um, and the nice thing is that you could be laying down because many meals took a long, long time. Here in America, we eat in about four and a half minutes, and I thrive on that. I, was, I feel like I was built to live in this country. Uh, yeah, I like blowing things up, like in the flag and eating in cheeseburger in two minutes. I don't know. It's like, go America. You're like, I don't like those things. Too bad. I love them. Uh, 
But when you travel, people take like eight and a half years to eat dinner. It starts at like 10.30 and then goes till you get on your plane to leave. And so they would recline and they would stay together. And I think that it's such a powerful moment as people to take time to eat together for a few reasons. One, when we eat, we are happy and calm. And it is much easier to talk to a happy and calm person. If I'm hungry, don't try to tell me a dang thing. But if you give me a cheeseburger, I'll listen to whatever, you know, multi-level marketing scheme you got. <laughs> yeah, send it. What? Yeah, just rub it into my forehead for six hours a day. I'm in, right? Whatever it takes because you fed me. And when, I, when I'm hungry, I'm happy. Um, that's helpful, right? But also it breaks down walls into real conversation because you're not in a hurry to be done. Jesus, I love to watch Jesus teach in the crowds. But he really, when, he, when he's around a table, he converses. Jesus teaches the multitudes, but he converses and questions around the table where there's no rush, where it can be intimate, where it can be relational. Because listen, relationship allows for grace. It gives time to explain. I did an Insta poll because I was like asking the questions about evangelism because I'm always fascinated on why we do or do not share our faith. And I asked, what is uh, more intimidating for you when sharing your faith, beginning the conversation or knowing what to say? Would... Good. It was 50-50. We're mutually and equally afraid of both beginning the conversation and knowing what to say. And I think that's because we approach evangelism like we're hunting. We're like looking for that one cashier who like makes eyes with us, right? Like, oh, she, oh yeah, like, like a wounded gazelle at the back of the pack. Like that one guy in our office who stayed in the break room just a little too long and is about to hit with it. Do you know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Right? <laughs> we like explode into these moments, right? We try to catch him in an awkward time. We're like, hey, I know you're in the middle of working. You're desperately afraid of not being able to feed your family. But could I interrupt your entire life with something? Now that does work sometimes. You know, be led by the Holy Spirit. But if I could just put some peace into your heart for those of you who don't thrive in that setting, I, I don't mind being in that setting. I did it this week at Love the Block. I was like, hey, man, I just, like, went into it. At that, But I work here. But, you know, <laughs> let's say you want some peace in your heart. Let me give you this. Hospitality gives you that moment to slow down and to have space and to think and to sort it out. Here's how I know. If you get stuck in a question you don't know, just put food in your mouth. You got at least a minute and a half to think because you're just being polite. You can't talk with food in your mouth, right? Hit, hit a big bite of that pizza. They're like, why does God uh, allow bad things to happen to good people? You're like, that's a good people. <laughs> Give yourself some time. <laughs> but I want to encourage you that that meal is so precious because you get a designated period of time to share your heart with others. And how often do we really get that? hear me today, though, hospitality will often be misunderstood. People will always judge your table. My table has always been judged. Sometimes it was my fault, but my table has always been judged. I remember as a kid, I, uh, I was going to the lunchroom, and I saw this new kid, and he was so tall. I was very, at one point in my life, very short and, and like skinny and just small, and uh, I saw this kid who was a giant, you know, like six feet, you know, in like seventh grade, just huge. 
And uh, I, I saw he was eating alone, and so I went over and immediately found out why he was eating alone. Uh, I said, hey, what's up, man? Like, my name's Josh. He said, yeah, my name's Brett. He's like, but you could call me Brick. And I was like, oh, word. Do you remember Brick? You don't? Oh, man, we took him to a me Mexican restaurant. Remember this? No, just, just a long line of people that we've taken to Mexican food. Um, <laughs> that's my mom. Uh, and I was like, oh, word. He's like, yeah, my dad wanted to call me Brick, but my mom named me Brett. He's like, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I got to know Brick, and uh, he was everything you'd expect. And uh, as I got to know him, it, and it was tough. It was tough to be this dude's friend. He was severely abused and hurt and in pain. And so he did all the things that people who were hurt do, which is hurt other people and do things to get attention, right? And I remember my friends coming to me, even at a young age, and being like, bro, why do you keep hanging out with this guy? We cannot stand this dude. We're not going to hang out with you if you keep hanging out with him. And I remember thinking, like, great, man. It was great to know you. Bye. It's like, I'm... Because there's something that God has put upon our hearts that no one should eat alone. Why, if we know the hope of Jesus Christ is someone eating alone? Now, sometimes they might choose it, but if we can be involved, we must reach out. And that's why in Luke 5.30, they're going to toss the words. It says, the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Love this, they grumbled and complained. They grumbled and complained. That word comes from when the Israelites grumbled and complained in the desert against Moses and Aaron. It's literally a refusal of the redemptive work of Jesus. Let me put it in modern terms. How can God come for blank? How can Pastor Josh spend time with so-and-so? The irony being some of you are here because I was the only person to ever sit at your table. How can, yeah, Pastor, you really tell me that this person with these views who voted for this person who did this thing, who doesn't wear this or hasn't gotten this or hasn't bought this or has this attitude, you're telling me that it, it, surely God is for everybody, but, but not that, not, not that person, right? And I just want to encourage you, think of the person that you think is outside the limits of the love of God. Just think, put them in your brain right now. Think of them. Everybody probably has somebody who has severely hurt them or just a kind of person you don't like, right? And then just insert him into that blank immediately. Because whoever it is that you begun to envision that you think is beyond the love of God, no one is beyond the love of God. And Christ came that those people might be engaged. But people will misunderstand when you begin to engage hurting people. It doesn't make them comfortable. And a lot of what we try to do is get comfortable. Fellow believers might not understand. I just, ah, man, they, they just say things that upset me. It's like, yeah, man, you're saying currently something that's upsetting me, and we're still friends. Yeah. Yes, they might blow us off, and yes, they, they might hurt us, and yes, the things are hard. we got to set boundaries. But there's something important. I, I just feel like we can't move on from this moment because I feel like we begin to write off people that God has begun to call, and God has begun to stir in their hearts. But their, their speed bump is not the Lord. It's us. We're the gatekeepers, and God is wanting to call them in. There is a tension, though. Um, 
if you engage in that sinful behavior, it's not the same. Can I just say? Because I don't want to go on Instagram later and see you engaging in behavior that we both know is not Christian and be like, but Pastor Josh said I got to go out and build my table. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be intentional, right? Be intentional. I did this first service. Katie, you want to help me? Katie's very strong. Give it up for Katie. We used to do this in youth all the time when kids would say, like, well, no, I'm just, you know, we're just like a part of the same thing. And I'd say, okay, great. Why don't we'll do this? I'm going to try to lift you up on stage. I think I might be able to do it. Not, not how I'm feeling right now. All right, ready? One. And you, you, you just fight me. Just pull the other way. We're going to work against each other. You've been cycling, so you got the thighs. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. I think we could do it if I had time and I wasn't sick. Now let's go the other way. And I just want you to try to pull me off off the stage here, and I will resist you. Ready? One, two, three. Go, go. <laughs> All right, give it up for Katie. We used to do that all the time because, yeah, don't throw your back out. Uh, we used to do that all the time because I would try to explain, listen, it's much easier for someone to pull you down in than for you to lift someone up. And if you're going to lift someone up, you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. I just want to encourage you. We must intentionally make space for the people that Jesus came to reach. Band, you can come up. We must intentionally make space for the people that Jesus came to reach. In Luke 5.31, Jesus said, I came to call the sinners, not the righteous. I came to call those unclean people who have been pushed to the outside and neglected and forgotten. Jesus says, listen, I... I'm not neglecting the righteous. In fact, when you read Scripture, you see that he went in the synagogues to reason with the righteous, with the leaders, and oftentimes they just out and out rejected him. And he's saying, listen, you know the truth and have rejected it, but those people who don't know the truth and who are now discovering it, to them it's like living fresh water. They run to it, which is why he uses the doctor example. It's not to put down people who are living righteously. It's to say, listen, if someone comes into the ER and they're missing an arm, how quickly will we get them a doctor? And how quickly will they demand a doctor? Pretty quick. If someone comes in, they're like, you know what? Like, my stomach kind of hurts. I just had a long day. That demand's lower. If they come in and they're like, I actually feel pretty healthy, <laughs> that demand is lower. There's this longing that comes from being in a place that requires much grace. What I've learned is the worst sinners are most aware of their need for grace. Romans 5.20 says, The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The world is not neutral. Hear me, church. The world is not neutral. Jesus didn't come and he's like, and you go to heaven and you go to hell. We are all by our own sins destined for eternal separation from Jesus Christ in hell. But by Jesus Christ... For all who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that he is raised from the dead, there is eternal life. Jesus came to rescue. And Jesus made the table a place of rescue. And can I tell you, if you begin to reflect the heart of Christ, your table can be a place of rescue. Wouldn't that be amazing? If your kids grew up and said, you know what I remember most about my mom and dad? That the table was a place of rescue. They're not going to remember every vacation or every promotion. They will remember that. The table was a place of rescue where God moved in their lives. 
Jesus came to the earth to restore us to a relationship with God, to take our sin and shame and give us eternal life. But Jesus did not come, die, raise a church just so that we would go to lunch with the same three people every week. He didn't come so his church would ignore the hurting in every avenue of life, not so excuses would be made time and time again, not so comfort would be preserved while lives are being lost, not so we would demand groups and ministries that would meet every one of our need while ignoring the needs of others. See, I'm, I'm so proud. I, I left last week just celebrating. I'm so proud to be a part of a church where we recognize that Jesus died on the cross, took our shame, rose in power, and gave us the Holy Spirit that we might reach out to the most hurting places. In fact, next week we're going to baptize somebody in celebration of what our team has done, reaching out to hurting places. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that sees the hurting in their church services, in their life, in their job, in the store, in the streets, in their school, and says, would you come to a meal with me? that I might share life with you. I'm thankful to be part of a church that throws a lifeline to the drowning and is full of believers that say, I want to breathe life, I want to share hope, I want to raise the dead, and I want to restore life in others through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to give you two invitations today. The very first is the invitation of Levi. It's very simply this. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do not know if your soul is secured for eternity and you have not received the hope and healing that comes through him, he is here today saying, come, follow me. And you don't have to wait any longer. It's here. Second, I want to pray today that God would give you fresh vision for the broken, that he would begin to supernaturally and physically break your heart for what breaks his and that you would make a commitment and say, with me together today, I'm going to engage people at the table for meals with Jesus. I'm going to engage people at the table with meals for Jesus. Would you stand with me today? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? First, if you're here today, this is for you, the call of the Lord upon your life. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, we believe that in Jesus Christ there is hope for every future and healing for every past. And if you're here today to say, Jesus, I'm tired of living for myself. I need you as my Lord and Savior, and I choose today to follow you with my life and say yes to you. Would you do me a favor? Would you just lift your hand right now and say, I'm saying yes to Jesus today. Let's pray together. Lord God, I pray for those hands today. I thank you, God, that you're moving, that you're stirring. And I thank you, God, that everyone who's in you is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come in the name of Jesus. Second thing today, I want to invite you to pray with me. If you are here and you're saying, God, I just long for you to give me by the power of the Holy Spirit a fresh vision for the broken. And you're willing to say, you know what, I'm going to commit this year to saying I will engage people at the table to have meals with Jesus at the center. If that's you and you're saying, Holy Spirit, would you guide me in this commitment and longing of my heart? Would you lift your hands with me? I'm gonna just be honored to pray with you, lifting my hands as well today. Jesus, I thank you that your news is good news, that where you go, the gospel is, and the truth of your word is active right now. And Holy Spirit, I pray for all these hands raised right now. I pray that you would stir our hearts for those who are hurting and broken, that you would open our eyes even to those who 
even don't look broken, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will reveal the brokenness and you will begin to speak words of life into them. God, I pray you would use every one of these people. And we say together, Lord, we make a commitment this year to engage people at the table to seek and save the lost. God, may the tables of this church and may this church be a reflection of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.